Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. And we're looking at Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. It says this, verse 6. A son honours his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honour due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that it is the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Good morning. It's loud. <laughs> I'm Ryan. If this is your first time at Southside, or maybe first time in a long time, welcome. I'm going to jump into Malachi. Before we do that, though, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, before we step into the world of Malachi, we pray that, Lord, you would calm our minds and our hearts and our bodies. And Father, that we might be known by you. Father, we invite you to search us, to know us, and to reveal to us any way that is opposed to what you're doing in us and through us. So, Father, that we might be able to know your grace, say sorry, and continue on living in a relationship with you where we display uh, the goodness and the beauty and the glory of your son, Jesus, who you've made us to belong to. And that is who we are in him. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Not long ago, uh, my wife, Sarah, she came to me one day and said, hey, look, we need to talk. Don't want to talk now, but we need to talk, and I'd like to talk later. Now, whenever Sarah says that, there's always a significant conversation that we need to have. There's something on her mind that she needs to share, and she very lovingly, by the way, gives me the heads up, hey, we'd love to talk. And she does that not only to flag that there's something on the radar, but that she doesn't want to have it now, she wants to have it later, because I just have to have the conversation. If there's something wrong, I'm like, well, let's talk about it now. Let's deal with it now. Like, come on, let's, let's get this out of the way. So no, let's do it later. And I go, sure, sure. And, you know, the day will kind of unfold and then, you know, I'll try and circle back to it. So, you know, let's just talk now. I've got a bit of time. Let's just say, no, we'll do it later. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, later. I'll wait. Later comes and we sit and she shares her complaint with me. Now, I'm not going to get into the complaint because if I started sharing all my problems, we'd be here all week. And let's face it, no one wants to do that. But... She said to me, 
not just at the beginning. <laughs> she said it in the middle and at the end. She said to me, look, I'm having this conversation with you. I'm saying these things, even though they're going to be hard to hear, they're going to hurt. I'm saying these things because I care for you. I love you. And actually, I want our relationship to be better. I want it to be healthier. And so it was ugly. <laughs> there was tears uh, there was runny, snotty noses. Uh, it was really hard. You know, that's just how we do it at, in the Holmes household. Don't know what your conversations are like when you have those, but it was messy. Now, I'm sharing this not to, you know, obviously say that, hey, look, we've got the perfect marriage, but to, to highlight the, the reality that significant conversations must happen. Issues need to be raised if we're to have healthy relationships with those who are particularly close to us. To have an ever-increasing or deepening relationship with anybody, complaints must be made. Issues must be faced. But the question is, when it comes to our relationship with God, if it is a close relationship in our life, as it should be, does God care enough about our relationship or his relationship with his people? Does he value our relationship enough to complain? And if God was to complain, what would God complain about? If God was to complain to you about your relationship with him, what would it be? Well, the book of Malachi invites us to see that the God we're encountering is a God who cares deeply about the relationship he has with his people. He values the relationship enough to complain. He's willing to say hard things. He's willing to to raise the issues because of the kind of relationship he has with his people. And the first words out of God's mouth in Malachi reflects the kind of relationship he has with his people. He says, I have loved you. I've chosen to set my affection upon you. And as we pick up this morning... In Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, as God actually brings his first complaint to his people, he continues to, to remind them and remind us of the kind of relationship he has with them. But notice here, though, unlike many of our experiences of relationships, God's complaint doesn't start up harshly. It's not a harsh start-up. God doesn't load his first complaint at the start with all these negative words. God invites his people to remember the kind of relationship they have with their God. He reminds them in verse 6, you can see it there, if I am your father, if I am your master or king, because I'm your father, because I'm your king, God though isn't just any kind of king and master as we see here. Yeah, God is a great king and master. He is the king of the universe, the God of creation. But he is also a great king, a God who is a father. A 
God like no other because he is a loving father. Now, there's this photo taken um, of John F. Kennedy, and it was a photo that created a lot of controversy when it was taken. Because, or controversy among Americans, because they thought that a, a president of their country should be this kingly, ruling, authoritative figure. Presidential. Yeah, he's kind of looking a bit presidential there. If you cut off the, the bottom half, there he is at his, at his desk doing business. But the reason why it was so controversial was because of the bottom half of the picture. Here's his son, John John, sitting at his feet. It's controversial because, hey, now this isn't just this president, but he's actually this affectionate father. And for some Americans, they couldn't hold the two together. Others held up this figure as presidential, kingly. He shouldn't be affectionate. Others liked or, or were drawn to this affectionate family man. You know, when it comes to our relationship with God, we can struggle to hold them together too, can't we? For it's easy for us to see God as this kingly figure, this distant, detached, indifferent ruler. And that we can sometimes struggle to see him as an affectionate, present father. But we see that the Bible doesn't have that problem. The Bible is very clear and God is very clear in saying that, no, I am both. This is who I am. He's a tender, loving father and a great king. And because this is who he is, he's worthy of respect. He's worthy of honor. And so what is God's complaint then? Well, it's also there in verse 6. You can see it. If this is who I am, if I'm your father, if I'm your king, then where's my respect? Where is my honor? And at this, Israel, man, they react. They are lit. They are consumed, intoxicated, fired up with self-justification. You can see that, that verses you know, 6 to 13, they've got like front row seats, you know, the heavyweight battle in the family kitchen. I mean, the kids and the parents in this back and forward complaint, defense exchange. Where's my honor? Where's my respect? How? How have we disrespected you? How have we shown you contempt? And these two words, contempt and defilement, are like this, this penciled outline of a portrait of the heart of God's people. And then what we see as we, as we work through verses 6 to 13, that, that portrait of their heart is kind of coloured in, filled out, detailed, with three behaviours captured by three words, you know, that, that colour, the heart of God's heart attitude, of, the heart attitude, sorry, of God's people towards him. And the first uh, colour we see is this word defiled, describing you know, the kind of offerings or sacrifices that, that God's people are bringing him. 
you know, the food offerings, the sacrifices, they're the quality of something that you'd find probably in your compost bin or in your rubbish bin, or perhaps actually on the side of the road. It's rubbish. You're treating me like rubbish. The second color, uh, the second word is describing the attitude behind the behavior, describing the, the behavior of their heart. And God says, you're treating me, my name, my table, you're treating me as low, low grade, cheap, ordinary. You're treating me with contempt, God says. And the third color that we see comes in verse 13. This word kind of fills out the final details of the heart of God's people. And it's the very thought of God makes their hearts groan. Oh, really? You again? It's like, you know when your eyes roll in the back of your head? When someone says something, you're like, oh, goodness. Are you asking me to do that? When God's people think about having to relate with their God in a way that shows some honor and respect, their hearts groan, their eyes roll. You say that I'm a burden. But why all this detail about the temple, offerings, sacrifices? Why are they such a big deal? Why does God seem to be measuring their relationship on, on these behaviors, these interactions? We need to understand that for God's people, the temple and, and this, the way that the, the, the Israelites used the sacrifices within the temple, the way they, they did these things, engaged in this way, was the tangible, the physical, the localized place that God's personal presence dwelt. This was the place out of all the world that God had carved out for his people to relate to him, to engage and to participate in, a, in that, that relationship of mutual love where they would come and know God's forgiveness, where they'd come and be reminded of his love for them. This is where God invited his people to participate in a loving relationship with him. And the reason why the priests are kind of given such a hard time is because they're the blokes, they're the guys who were supposed to set the tone. They were responsible for what happened. And things have gotten so bad that even the priests are treating God cheaply, ordinary, low grade. And the picture that we're left with is... Uh, that they're treating the temple and the sacrifices lightly, which means they're treating their relationship with God lightly, which means they're treating God himself lightly. And they believe that that's okay. They believe it's okay. It's like, you know, I remember once I was making this meal. I don't, I'm not a cook. I'm sorry for all the cooks out there. You're going to be very offended by this story. I'm not a cook. I do like to help out around the house by cooking once or twice a week. I think it's a good thing to do, I think. And so it rolled around for my time to cook. And Sarah was out. I had the recipe there. And I'm not very good at following recipes. I'm like, yeah, yeah sure. I'll put a little bit of that in, a little bit of that. Yeah, that's, that's a cup, kind of. <laughs> 
felt in. There was one ingredient anyways on the recipe that I wasn't really quite sure what it was. I couldn't even find it. I think it was called tahini, I think. Tahini. Don't even know what that is. But it sounded like tamari. And I thought, oh, that's it. Tamari. And, um, and then, like, but we don't have tamari, but we do have soy sauce. And tamari and soy sauce, they're kind of similar. I think they taste, at least they taste kind of similar, and thought, oh, I'll throw that in instead. And because uh, uh, tamari is a bit thicker, I thought, oh, maybe I should put a little bit more soy sauce in it than it's asking for. And, and anyways, oh, <laughs> I shudder <laughs> thinking of that moment. I looked at it, I'm like, man, this doesn't seem right. It's like this chicken couscous thing. The chicken was burnt. The couscous was swimming um, in soy sauce. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we can go with this. This is something that should not be served. But I served it that night for dinner. It was inedible, literally inedible. It was something yet that you'd think was swimming in the bin juices at the bottom of your bin before bin day. Inedible. You can't serve that, but I served it. And that really happened. But imagine if I kept on doing that week after week after week. Month after month after month, year after year after year, you'd be like, what on earth are you doing? It's not okay. What does that show about my heart, my value of my wife? Israel, the problem with Israel is they actually think what they're doing is okay that God's actually worth that much of their effort, that much of their time, that much of their finances, that much of their attention. But it's, it's crap. God actually calls it that. He says in verse chapter 2, verse 3, I will smear on your face the dung from your festival sacrifices. It's strong language because that's what it is. And God asks plainly, am I meant to be pleased? Am I meant to accept the way that you're treating me? And I, am I meant to be okay with the, the value that you are placing on me? No answer. He asks the second question, would anybody else be okay if you served this to them, if you treated them this way, silence. God goes on to say, look, in, in chapter 2, I need you to know that this is not okay. I need you to hear me. No, I really need you to hear me. I need you to take this to heart. Not in one ear and out the other, but in your ears and into your heart. But what are we meant to do with that? What are we meant to do with this interaction between God and, and his people? I think we need to see that how we treat God really matters. 
how we behave in our life and particularly as in our relationship with God, it really does matter because our behavior is not disconnected to our heart. Our heart behaviors actually inform how we treat God, how we live, and it really matters. So how does the way that you relate to God or you treat God reveal about your heart attitude towards him? And God asks, am I meant to be pleased? Am I meant to be okay with the value that you place on me? Is your half-heartedness okay? Is your dispassionate singing okay? Is the, the time and the effort that you spend with me in, in listening to me as you read, the, you read my word and, and speaking to me as we talk in prayer, is that okay? What kind of response would you expect? What kind of response do you think you'd get? Criticism? You're always doing this. Never treat me with respect. Would he show you contempt? You're so ungrateful. God's eyes roll. Oh, you again. Does he get defensive? You know, I'm always giving my best for you. You never give anything back. Does he just give you, would he just give you the silent treatment? Um, God, hello? You still there? It's tempting for us to think that God would react like that. Because let's face it, that's how people in our life treat us. If we, and when, not if, when, we relate to them that way. But God's not like other people. God the Father isn't like other fathers. He is a God that we've never met before. He is a father that we've never met before. His love is a love that we've never experienced before. And in chapter 2, verse 4, reminds us of this. He reminds us of the kind of God he is when he says, I am saying all of this so that you would know, so that you would know I want to remain in relationship with you. He says, and you'll know that I've sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue. So what does this reveal to us about how God responds? These words of warning actually come from a heart that longs to remain in relationship with us. Come from a heart of a God who has a deep affection for his people. God isn't criticizing. God isn't showing contempt. God isn't getting defensive. God isn't giving us the silent treatment. No. God moves towards his people in tender love with a complaint. There's a world of difference between a complaint and a criticism. A world of difference. A complaint, well, a complaint <laughs> focuses on a specific behavior. God is complaining about something specific right now, how they're relating to him. 
And God will go on in Malachi to make some more specific complaints. He'll go on to say, hey, look, your marriages, the way you use your money, they actually, there's issues there because how you're, the state of that reflects the state of your relationship with me. He's going to go on to address those things. But it's specific. And it's focused on a behavior. See, a criticism attacks the person. A criticism moves to, to attack a person's identity. And so a complaint shifts to be a criticism when you come away from that conversation with the sense of what is wrong with you? With you. And that is not what God is doing here. But neither does God minimize the, the reality of there's a real issue going on here. But how God chooses to deal with that magnifies God's affectionate heart towards his people, magnifies who he is. And so this passage is, is a story of a real, messy, heartfelt complaint, not a criticism, a story of a heart moved out of love as God chooses to, to make a, a loving, relational move towards his people. But how do we know? How do you know? How do I know that, that, that although that's how God dealt with his people Israel, but how will he relate with me? Will God relate with me that way? It's fine. You're sure. Israel's Israel. That's fantastic. What a lovely story. What a lovely piece of history. But what about me? in my life? Will God relate with me that way? Well, this loving relational move that God makes anticipates another one, another loving relational move that God would make when he would carve out a better physical, local, tangible place for his presence to be found, where not just God's people Israel could come, but anyone could come. You and me could come and know his forgiveness and his love. And that place... He's carved out to participate in that loving relationship with him is, is Jesus. He's the man, Jesus Christ, God's son. The letter of Hebrews is really all about this in the New Testament. But let me just highlight a few things from chapter 10 for you how, and, and how God carves out this better place for us to, to know his forgiveness, but also to be reminded of his love. And he reminds us, well, he starts in verse 5, when Christ came into the world, when God's Son came into what He came to be a perfect, pleasing, acceptable sacrifice to God. Not like this rubbish in his, that Israel were giving. Oh, this is perfect. This is pleasing. This is good in God's eyes. And we see in chapter 10 that um, he says, and by that will, that is the will of Jesus being willing to come as our sacrifice, we have been made holy, that is suitable for a relationship with God through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. 
And notice then what he goes on to say then, what this means for us in, in, later on in the chapter, in verses 19 and 20. He says, enter into my presence, draw near to me, knowing that I've forgiven you, knowing that I love you because of what Jesus has done for you. How does God relate to us? Well, here, how he responds. When Christ came into the world, when you came to, to belong to Jesus by believing in him, you, he became your perfect, pleasing, good sacrifice to God. So perfect, so pleasing that there is actually no need for any other sacrifice to be made ever again. Is, Jesus is that good, that perfect, that pleasing to God is a once and for all deal. And so because I belong to Jesus, I don't have to wonder anymore how God's going to respond to me. He's not going to criticize me. He's not going to give me or show me content, um, contempt. He's not going to get defensive with me. He's not going to give me the silent treatment. Because I belong to Jesus, we can say my relationship with God is safe. Because I belong to Jesus, God's not angry with me. He's pleased with me. Because of Jesus, God doesn't start up harshly with me anymore. He's not angry with me. But the first words out of his mouth to you, to us, is, I'm your Father God and I have loved you. But like we saw with Israel, that doesn't mean there aren't any issues with the relationship doesn't minimize the fact that how we and how Israel were really behaving towards God was okay. Remember, God doesn't settle for okay relationships. Remember, God cares so deeply about his relationships with us that he's willing to complain. He's willing to say the hard things so that the relationship would get better, so it would become increasingly healthier. And so what does it look like then to draw near and, and continue to participate in this loving relationship with God? Well, Malachi, he tells us that in the final verses of, um, or not the final verses, in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, God gives his people, we could say, another portrait, another outline of what the right heart or the right or loving relationship looks like with him. And again, we get three colors that fill in the picture. Awe is the first. Verse 5, a heart that's in awe of God. Stand in awe, he calls us to. The second color is truthfulness. Verse 6, that, that true instruction, a truth would be in our mouth. Not falsehood on our lips. And the, th the third color is that we'd walk in God's way in verse 6. He walked with me in peace, uprightness, and turned away from sin. The picture that we're left with here is characterized by this continual, hearts that are continually turned towards God or continually turning towards Him. But Malachi finishes going, yeah, but you guys are characterized by the opposite. But you have turned 
from the way, or you've turned away from me. But although God's people fall short of this, no doubt we do, if we're being honest with ourselves. Although we fall short of this portrait, it is a portrait that the, the letter of Hebrews again says that Jesus embodies. But that not, So that not only is Jesus our perfect sacrifice that's pleasing to God, but he is the perfect example of what it looks like to live in that continual, um, continuous kind of participating in that loving relationship with God. Hebrews remind us that and calls us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of the faith. If you want to know what it looks like, look to Jesus. But Hebrews also reminds us that, that as we wrestle with that, as we struggle to learn and to follow and to turn to God continually, he says, or the writer of Hebrews says in at chapter 12, verse 14 to 13, don't forget. Don't forget as a father addresses his son, my son, my child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And in other words, don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son or as his children. As we experience God's discipline, or, or in other words, as we experience God's complaint, am I pleased? I'm your father. Where's my honor? I'm your king. Where's my respect? Should I be okay with this? It is good and right, to feel, you know, a sense of disappointment, a godly kind of guilt and grief, knowing that we've grieved our Father's heart. Because what we do actually really matters. But it's almost as though as what matters more is that we are aware of something different something that we might not have seen before, something that we might not have experienced before, felt before, and that is God's heart deeply moved in love towards us because we are in the hands of a loving God, not an angry God or an angry father, but a father whose heart is drawn towards us because he cares deeply about our relationship with him. Because he cares about the relationship you have with him. Because he wants a relationship with us that has become increasingly more healthier. That is becoming better. Because he's a God who is our loving Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you give us such a real and vivid and confronting reminder of who you are and who we are and what that's like to live together. That you care deeply enough to call us out when things are not okay, but that you remind us and that the way in which ha how you come to us is 
is one of love and tenderness and kindness. We pray, Father, that we would take how we relate with you seriously, but we would see that what we do matters. But, Father, help us as we see these things, would we we value more deeply in our heart that how you relate to us matters more and that we would be motivated not by guilt or disappointment, but that we'd be motivated by your love towards us that you've shown to us in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.